The one rule I have is when I'm responding to a call, unless it's really, really out of the norm, I don't talk on the radio as far as giving instructions to people that are on the scene. I've heard chiefs do that. I think it's a bad habit to get into. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. If you're an incident commander, you probably have your own style, so to speak. Maybe it works for you. Maybe you need a little polishing. Running a scene well involves a million interactions and decisions. The question is, how much thought have you given them? Now might be a good time to think about that, because here to discuss what I see should know is Jason Hovelman. He's a deputy chief and fire marshal with the Sullivan Fire Protection District, a combination department in Missouri. He's also a career battalion chief and training officer with the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District in North St. Louis County. Jason has more than 20 years experience on the job. He's an adjunct instructor for the St. Louis County Fire Academy and a state certified fire officer too. He's written a couple of books, and he has a podcast. More on those later. Jason Hovelman joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. Let's start with training. Drills build trust, but how many ICs have you met that don't really participate in drills? Several. And uh, unfortunately, I have to remind myself, it's easy Especially in the, the depending on the department that you're in and the the way that it's organized, my department. The challenge I found was, you know, we're pretty lean on the top of our organization. So we have a fire chief and then three battalion chiefs, and so a lot of that administrative work, day to day operations, falls on the three battalion chiefs, which really limited the amount of time I was able to get out and drill and train with the companies, and I found it that it created a disconnect. You don't want to get in and micromanage your captains, obviously, but you certainly want to be involved because you're able to see skill levels. You're able to really stay in touch with what your companies are doing on the fire ground. And I found it to be really valuable later on as an incident commander to uh, be able to have that trust in your companies and conversely for them to have the trust in you uh, that you understand what they're doing, that when you radio something from the outside that you're seeing as a commander, that they trust that you're, you're doing the right thing. And at the same time, when they're inside giving you information that you can't see, that you're trusting them. And it's tough. It's a battle, uh, especially in an organization like mine where I get bogged down in the administrative duties uh, from day to day. You have to make a concerted effort to get out and quite honestly, uh, I need to be better at it. Um, it's something that's always in the back of my mind. And uh, sometimes you have to put down those administrative duties and, and all that office work and just wait till the day's over just so you can get out and be with your companies. 
We've talked about size-ups on this show before. What are the key elements of a good one from your point of view? I think the key elements is really to keep it simple mostly. I think that, you know, you want to provide – I mean, your size-up starts way before you get the call. At least it should. You should have a very in-depth knowledge of your first due area or your still area um, that you respond to on a regular basis. And as a captain, I learned some valuable lessons in getting out – uh, long before the call ever came in, looking at buildings. But when the call comes in, uh, your your company officers are really the, the linchpin to this. This is re- they really determine the success or failure and the information that you're going to get from that size up. And the key components, really, like I said, is to keep it simple. Don't get too complicated. Don't make it too long. Just provide basic information. What kind of building is it? Single family, multifamily. And when we get into commercial occupancies, I like to tell people, don't worry about institutional educational. Say I'm at Sullivan Middle School or I'm at Hickson Elementary School or whatever that might be, because it paints a much much clearer picture for the people responding. They know what Lowe's looks like. They know what those particular places look like. And then I think given an accurate description of what they see, so many times they see a lot of fire and they automatically want to say fully involved when that's not really the case. Or... They don't give a follow-up 360, which is critical. I think the the first two officer has to provide that 360. So in simplest terms, it's an accurate dep- depiction of what they see. So what we call that are initial conditions in our SOG, and then they're going to state what their initial actions are, and they should match up. For example, if I hear that I've got a fully involved single-family dwelling, and next thing I know is they're making entry, something's not adding up, something's not right, and it's probably the description that was off. But as an incoming battalion chief or incoming units, those things can cause you pause uh, when you when you hear those descriptions. But I, I think it's keep it simple, give accurate and clear information that's not too long as far as what your initial conditions are, what those initial actions are in any follow-up reports, I think are probably the three biggest, most simple components of a size-up. If you're listening to a captain's initial size-up, are you willing to accept the idea that he may have to correct himself after he gets a look at all four sides of the building? Yes, yes. I'm really fortunate where I work to have uh, outstanding company officers and uh, very few times have they arrived on a working incident and not provided that information. And so, and I trust them uh, until I'm proven. Otherwise I'm rolling with whatever information they're giving me. And so if I hear that they're, they've got a a working basement fire uh, or an attic fire, that's the information I'm going with until I arrive or until uh, conditions show me otherwise. And they're well-trained, they're well-engaged company officers, and I've just found that the one one rule I have is when I'm responding to a call, unless it's really, really out of the norm, I will not, I don't talk on the radio as far as giving instructions to people that are on the scene, because I've heard chiefs do that, I've heard incident commanders do that, that on the way, they listen to the information in the car, and this happens at a lot of volunteer and combination departments. I think it's a bad habit to get into, and the perfect example is what the description that I gave a few minutes ago. uh, We had, back in December, we had a single-family home. It was called in from an apartment complex behind the house, and the whole back of the house was rolling, and it was mostly exterior and garage. 
And uh, so it came in on the address in the apartment complex, which is where the first company went. And they reported a fully involved building. The second do went down the opposite street, the direction of the first two company. And then they said, we've got reported victims in the basement. We're going to be making entry. Well, right away, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed because I thought I had a fully involved house fire. And now I've got a company that's making uh, an interior attack and, and for a search. Those two things don't typically go together. But the last thing that I needed to do was get on the radio and tell that second dude, oh, whoa, 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 this is fully involved because I'm not there seeing that. And I have heard that happen. And it wasn't fully involved. There was somebody in the basement and everything worked out all right. But you, you sometimes have a, have a, uh, a tendency to want to get involved because of what you are perceiving in your mind. Both of those size ups were kind of correct. The first two captain didn't get a 360 and then, but he did give a follow-up after the second dude got on there and he, he directed that second dude company to the right street because it came in as the wrong address. But all those things given the battalion chief responding, you don't want to get involved in that conversation until you get on the scene because it could be detrimental to the crew's operating. Right. But that situation has to be really stressful given that, as you pointed out, the two reports didn't match up. It's got to be tough to sit there behind the wheel as you're heading to the scene and go, nope, they know what they're doing. I'm not going to say anything until I get there and see it for myself. You're absolutely right. And that's where uh, what you mentioned before with the trust, uh, you have to trust what you see. And we've all been on calls where what we initially thought we saw isn't exactly what it was, especially after a 360 report or, for example, that call coming in from the wrong address and the first company going to the wrong address, not because they screwed up, but because that's how the call came in. Uh, and I give this first due company credit because he did say this house is on the street over. We're in the apartment complex. We don't have any access, but from our vantage point, we've got a fully involved house. Well, when they got to the front, that wasn't the case. And, and both those companies, I, I trust, I trust their decision-making and, it was the right decision. They they both made good decisions. Would it have been better to say a oh, well-involved or I've got heavy fire from the Charlie side or whatever? Yes, and we discussed that. But all in all, it is difficult to listen to those things and, and not interject before you get there. You mentioned micromanaging. Do you find that a lot of well-intentioned ICs actually ask too many questions of their company officers? Yeah, and I've been guilty of that as a young uh, officer in my volunteer department. And even sometimes when things start getting a little out of control, uh, you, you maybe talk too much on the radio. But I, I, as a captain, I never liked, as I was trying to work with my company uh, on the interior or in any other task or function on the fire ground, I didn't like constantly being bombarded with questions. Um, you know, basically you, you have to send some benchmarks as an incident commander. You have to keep in mind what type of building are your crews operating in? What are the conditions? What is the working air that you're dealing with? And um, when am I going to ask for a can report or a progress report and stick to it? And I've got a video of a, of a house fire that we had a basement fire in. And it was a, it was, it, it's a really good example of, letting your companies work. But it, again, it kind of all circles back to that trust and training thing, right? 
that they are well-trained, they're well-engaged, they work with their companies all the time, and they, they're, I trust them. And so there's this video shows um, our company's making an interior attack on a basement fire, and you don't hear me ask the interior crews anything um, for over eight minutes. And when you watch the video, it feels like an eternity. But the first crew takes a line to the basement. We got a second crew facilitating that first line. I've got a third crew with a backup line at the top of the stairs for um, egress protection. I've got another company doing primary search, and and they're reporting back information. But, yeah, it's hard sometimes to remember that, you know, my benchmark's kind of 10 minutes. As long as I don't see deteriorating conditions, I try to give them time to work because, it's hard for them to work and, and pay attention to what's going on in every two minutes, me asking questions or bombarding them for requests of information. It slows them down and frustrates them. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. You're saying that you can get most of the information you need just by monitoring their radio transmissions and not actually stopping them to ask questions? Correct. And what we've done is we've set some parameters or some guidelines through SOGs and uh, benchmarking is that, hey, tell me where you're going. Um, tell me when, if you, if you run into a problem, let me know when you found the fire and let me know when you're, you know, you've got water on it. And as far as the searching, you get assigned to a primary search on the first floor. Let me know when it's all clear or that you had to exit the building and it's not all clear. So we can put a second company in there to complete that search. So we've set these benchmarks up that they know they need to communicate at those points. And it's worked real well for us. How often have you been in a position to get a face-to-face -face briefing when you arrive? Is that common or uncommon? That's uncommon um, for the first arriving companies because we're SOG-driven. So a lot of times, I'd say the majority of the time, I am not the first unit or even with the first unit on these fires. And so we're SOG-driven. So the first unit has an assignment, the second unit has an assignment, the third unit has an assignment. And so if the incident commander is not on the scene initially, which is typically the case, they operate within those standard operating guidelines. My job when I arrive is to ensure by from listening to radio traffic and by uh, looking and watching as to what's going on based on the conditions that that SOG is being followed. So whether I'm first, third, fourth, or fifth, the whole idea is to operate within that standard operating guideline. And so it's very rare that I will have a face-to-face -face initially uh, during those initial operations. Give me some examples of information the IC really needs as opposed to things that they ask for that may not be all that important. I think it's critical to know, it's usually obvious, but I think it's critical to know from the interior crews operating in 360 is what kind of fire we have. Do we have 
a well-involved addict? Do we have something in the, you know, what levels the fire on and to what degree is it burning? Is it a one room burnout, which is what the majority of our fires are? Is it um, well seated into the structure? Uh, so that, that's information. And, and a lot of that is, is best guess based on what they see. The other thing is I want to know how many companies are on that first line. So I know how many personnel I've got operating inside. I want to know if they are arriving before me, I want to know exactly what tasks they're taking so I can ensure that all companies are doing what needs to get done. Of course, if there are victims, we had a recent recent apartment fire where uh, a company found victims on the backside on the second floor and that information needs to be relayed. They don't, you know, they, they started the rescue, but I had to send additional companies to that division to help them with that. And I just like to know progress. Um, I think it's important to know where they're going, what they're doing, and and who they have when they get started. Now, most of the time, they, that's all SOG driven too. So that information gets radioed as they operate. Um, now, there's also, I want to know if conditions are changing. If they're getting high heat, and for example, I had an apartment fire where I had a basement and the fire was in the basement. I had search crews on the first and second floor on both sides of the apartment complex, and I started getting radio traffic that we had changing conditions on the second floor. We had fire on the second floor. We had high heat conditions on the second floor. All of those things are information that I need to know because we changed our strategy. We, we didn't have a handle on the fire like we had thought we did. And we had to exit the building and kind of redeploy to figure out what we had going on because none of those things made sense from the initial information that we were given. So those are some key points that we would look for. When should an IC step in and say, wait a minute, guys, there's a problem here? I think that the big one for me is when the information that I'm getting from the inside does not match up with what I'm seeing from the outside. That's a big red flag for me. That's something that we will, will change what we're doing. Another one is if I keep hearing from the interior that they need more hose, they need more hose, they need more hose, or they haven't found the seat of the fire and we're getting into that 10-minute time frame, or conditions are worsening and we still haven't found the seat of the fire, we're going to make a change. If I hear, and a lot of it has to do with tone of voice, if I have a captain that's usually calm, cool, and collected, and his radio traffic is increasingly more anxious um, and rushed, that tells me, and that's an indicator to me, that something's not right on the inside. That's a red flag that we'll, uh, we'll think about our strategy and we, where we are and what we're doing. And then resources. If I have all members working, I mean, all we get six companies and two chiefs uh, and an ambulance on every working fire. We're very fortunate in St. Louis County. That's not the same for Sullivan. But uh, if I have every resource uh, in a position, and we're not we're not getting where we need to go, then we're certainly going to look at a, a multiple alarm type incident to have people available to recycle and refresh some of those crews. So those are some of the basic things that we'll look at. But the big thing, the, the one big thing for me is time in the building and, and no change in, in uh, conditions. And then they're telling me that they've got things under control, but I'm not seeing that from the outside. And so those are two, two, some of the two biggest factors that I look at. You know, it's interesting. Several of the things you just said match up perfectly with Don Abbott's Project Mayday radio calls, where he lists the things that you typically hear right before a mayday. 
and several of them were things that you had just suggested were problems. So are you saying that at that point you're going to tell people to pull out because there's a potential for a disaster? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there's a, there's a different, there's, there's two or three different ways of doing that. And just because you, we call it exit the building. Okay. If it's not, you know, if we don't have a collapse or we don't have a, you know, these catastrophic events, which most of the time you don't, uh, but we, you know, it's not, we're not sounding air horns and, and doing all of those kinds of things. It's just based on, I've pulled many people out of buildings or had them exit buildings to number one, get accountability, find out where everybody's at, see how you kind of reset the fire scene. So we're, uh, the apartment fire we had a few weeks ago, which is the most recent example of this, and I've done it more than than once, is you know conditions in the basement. We thought we had the fire out. My captain's demeanor changed, you know, very quickly. I had crews operating on the floors above with high heat conditions, fire breaking through the second floor. You know, not having a handle on exactly where this fire was going. Not being it ended up being a gas fed fire. But yeah, uh, you know, I'm getting all this information and I just decided, hey, everybody out, everybody out. We're going to we're going to look at this from the outside. We're going to see exactly what we've got going on. We're going to get reports from everybody that was on the inside and we're going to redeploy. Now, that seems pretty extreme. It's essentially saying that we're losing control here. We need to regroup. Would you then go back in or is it defensive after that point? No, no, no. We're not giving up on the building. What we're doing is we're just trying to, we're, we're just trying to stay a step ahead. I can leave crews in there and and have them get beat up and be, and what we had in that particular building was we had a partial collapse in the basement. They couldn't see the additional fire uh, and it was gas fed. So until we got the gas shut off, uh, we couldn't control that environment. So we had to get people out of that that uh, IDLH. Once we got the gas shut off, and even intermittently at the stairwell to keep it from running the attic, we would put people back in. It's just, we're not going to leave a situation in a bad way because uh, we don't want to pull people out. But um, on multiple occasions, we've had to do that. Maybe uh, one occasion on a mutual aid fire, they stretched a hose line kind of in a funky way and they ran out of hose. And so we had to back them out of there because they couldn't get to the seat of the fire, stretch a different hose line. Uh, from a different location where they gave them uh, ample length to get to it. But no, that doesn't mean we're giving up on the building. We're just going to re-strategize and uh, get a better look at what we've got going on. All right, Jason Ovalman, thank you for talking with us today on Code 3. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And we put some more information on Incident Command. Jason's books and his podcast on our website at code3podcast.com slash command. Check it out. Here comes the trivia question. When you're using a ladder, how far away from overhead lines is a safe minimum? I'll have the answer right after this. Ever notice that Scott always tells you that you can get a guest's book at our website, code3podcast.com? That's because we have links to order their books from Amazon on the episode's show notes pages. It makes it easy for you to get the books, and it helps support Code 3. When you buy Amazon through our website, we get a small cut too. And it doesn't cost you any more to order through us. Plus, there are other firefighter-related products there too. Take a look at Code3Podcast.com. Here's the trivia answer. 
When you're raising a ladder, stay at least 10 feet from power lines. More is better, and always look up first. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.